Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Evil Dead Rise, the latest in the Evil Dead franchise, I guess. Yeah, across movies and TV. We're also taking a look at Bo is Afraid, Ari Aster's new horror feature. It's a double feature of horror features this week on Offscript. We're going to talk about some trailers, some things coming up that look pretty cool. We think we might want to keep an eye out on. You might want to watch too. Before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. And before we talk about the news, we got a little bit of show news, which we never open the show with. Uh, normally, <laughs> we just jump right into news. Uh, but there's something we got to talk about. And we were just talking about whether or not we should save it for the end of the show or the beginning of the show. Uh, Andy, people can't find the audio version of Offscript anymore. But, but for like temporarily. We're, work, we're working out a fix. What, what's going on? Right. So our latest episode that we did last week of the Super Mario Brothers review is not uh, updating on our, on our podcast feed. All our uh, older episodes are, we're having some issues with, with our uh, RSS feed. Um, for those of you who don't know, I worked with a friend of mine to uh, create our own uh, feed and, as opposed to paying a podcast service to, to host us. We just DIY it through Amazon Web Services. Uh, it takes a little a number of manual steps and it's usually fine, but for some reason it has not been fine this week. But uh, we're going to continue to work on it and hopefully be up soon. Uh, one thing's for sure, like, I don't know the magic behind how Andy managed to engineer this situation, but it has worked for literal years. And it's amazing. As somebody who does podcasting for a living, I'm not even sure how he did it. You'd think I'd know. And I kind of understand in a broad, specific term. But, like, it's one of those situations where, like, it could be as simple as, like, the wrong punctuation in a line of a sentence that screws something up back there. Like, who knows? What is important to know is, number one, the podcast is still available. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook, right? We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can follow us in all those places. Number two, we're working it out, all right? And in the meantime, there's no better reason to go check us out on YouTube or follow us on Facebook or like and comment and support your boys and their DIY solutions right here off script <laughs> on any of our other platforms. Like, YouTube's a great one. We've got a lot of cool stuff going on on YouTube. we got individual clips going up. we got interviews over there. Like, seriously, go, go check out our YouTube page. Okay, and that's... Plenty of plenty of a plug from us. Anyway, the podcast version is getting fixed. In the meantime, uh, we got to move on to news. First thing this week, uh, Netflix is finally cracking down on passwords. I don't believe it, Andy. We talked about this months ago on the podcast when they were testing this in smaller markets. They are now very gently trying to kid glove their way <laughs> into having <laughs> the United States uh, start paying for password sharing. Where, where where are we at on this for new listeners to the show? What do you what do you think of this? So there's a few t details uh, about this that are really important. So they have rolled this out in Canada and some Latin American countries uh, just to kind of see how it does. And the idea is that if someone is sharing a password, they want to uh, either convert that person or they offer like a kind of a membership add-on where you can add someone outside of your house. Don't know what the price is. I assume it's probably lower than uh, like a full subscription, but it it's a way to kind of get some generate some money off those pe people sharing one of the big things they said was that they will start blocking devices that are sharing and that's really kind of huge news so if you're uh you know if you live across the world or the, <laughs> the country and you're borrowing someone's password uh netflix might block your device which is kind of crazy you know what it is i'll tell you what it is anti-military what about our boys overseas huh Hmm? What about our boys in blue? <laughs> well, how, are they gonna, how are they going to keep up with the latest episodes of Stranger Things if they can't use mom and dad's password? Now, I, I, I think this is lame. I, I've thought it's lame the whole way down. Uh, password sharing, I think, is one of the charms of streaming services, right? Like it wasn't something you could get away with a, with cable. You couldn't get an extra cable box and give it to your neighbor. You just had it at your home and that was it. Having multiple devices be connected via internet and Wi-Fi anywhere in the world is a good thing. That is a good service offering that makes it better than cable. Locking this down to just a few people and a couple devices and putting in lame restrictions like, oh, after a little while, uh, your device will stop working with Netflix until you log in again while you're at your house. Like that, that's not good. Like that's clumsy and that creates friction between the customer and the service. I'm, I'm at the point, man, like just give me a reason, Netflix. Like just give me a reason to stop using you. I, Andy already has, right? Andy, you're no Netflix. That, that's you right. I'm, yeah. I had a Netflix for like 12 years and only recently, I guess I've been Netflix free for about two months now. And I don't miss I it. I did, I did buy the Irishman on, on DVD so I could watch it. Yeah, which was like the equivalent of, what, a month and a half of Netflix, you know? 
Like somehow yeah. Netflix has gotten to the point where like buying a film full price is a it feels like a better offer. But you know, it, there's a lot of competition out there. We are particularly privy to HBO here on this show. The four markets, it's worth mentioning that they tested this in before it came here, were Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain, where they simply launched a buy an extra member option next to the login screen. So if somebody couldn't log in, like they were, I don't know, out of town or away, they couldn't make it work, they'd have an, an explainer, and then they say, hey, like $2, and you can hop on Netflix right now, right? Like just, just bar that just enough, like to get people to pay that extra price. Netflix is pleased with what's happened. They're excited to roll this out here. But like I said, they they got to soften it a little bit for American audiences, right? Like they could just turn this on, but I think they they're worried about, you know, press. They're worried about media saying, "Hey, Netflix is charging you more starting today," right? Like they want to want to figure out a way to to here comes the airplay in this news, but a sugar on that spoon like to get people to take it down <laughs> easier. Um do we do you think it's going to work, Andy? Like I there's this there's, there's, it's going to be clumsy no matter how they spin it, right? Apparently, it's already working in the countries that they rolled it out in, particularly Canada. And it's actually, they're seeing accelerated uh, subscriptions and revenue growth from this. So even though it sounds really bad and sounds like a turnoff to a lot of people, apparently overall, it's working. Maybe. I Personally, I think it might end up kicking our family off. Like, I know my parents use our Netflix password. It was always supposed to be a family account. That was kind of the idea. That's why you have the multiple accounts on there. Uh, that you can pick who you watch on. But I don't know, man. I'm not excited. I, I'm not excited. I think it's a lame move. I wish they were spending money investing in content, like instead of investing in how to squeeze an extra dollar out of people who, you know, need the dollars for other better services. Uh, our next story, Alec Baldwin, he might have gotten... <laughs> no, hold on. That's I shouldn't say he got away with murder. That's a bad joke. Uh, he has his manslaughter charges. Beat, beat the case. <laughs> right. Have been dropped in the Rust shooting. We've covered this for a little while on this show. It's it's kind of a small story, but God, it's fascinating. It's a story it's, that keeps on giving. Yeah, it is not every day that like a shooting happens on a film set, right? There there are many, many precautions in place to make sure this doesn't, ha- this doesn't happen. But last year on the set of Rust, small budget indie western, uh, Alec Baldwin was holding a firearm that went off in his hand uh, and ended up shooting and killing uh, cinematographer Helena Hutchins. It is a tragedy and it has been a mess the whole way down because how do you prosecute that? Who's at fault? Is it the armor? Is it Alec Baldwin? Well, whoever it is, it seems now it is official. It is not Mr. Baldwin's fault. Uh, What's going on in this story, Andy? So the manslaughter charges have been dropped uh, for Alec Baldwin. Only Alec Baldwin uh, they are still pending uh, with the armor, uh, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. That has yet to be seen um, what's going to happen in that case. But uh, charges have been dropped. However, uh, that doesn't mean he's he's off the hook. Uh, apparently, new facts have, have come to light, and uh, they're going to do a further investigation, some more forensic stuff, and they could bring charges again in the future. Uh, they're just not ready to... at this moment uh the case has been real uh tumultuous for the prosecution uh they originally had had charged them with they had added this gun charge that was going to add could have added as many as five years they eventually dropped that because of it was a retroactive thing it basically bad lawyering um and then they had to switch prosecutors because of conflicts of interest and so it it hasn't looked like a good case from the prosecution size or been accusations of very being very politically motivated to kind of go after Alec Baldwin. Um, so the case hasn't been real great. This is definitely a setback, uh, but they are going to continue the investigation, investigate whatever these new facts are. They didn't say, uh, but they could bring charges again in the future. However, it's probably less likely at this point, I think. I think this movie's cursed, man. Like, who is going to end up going to watch Rust? Because if you watch this movie, like, in a weird way, you're kind of participating in, like, an event that nobody should talk about. It's not quite like watching The Crow, although I guess it is kind of like watching The Crow. Like, you don't... I don't want to watch a movie where somebody died on set. (laughs) It's just got got a bad feeling around it. And, like, the fact is, like, I don't think anybody would be talking about this movie anyway had this tragedy not occurred. So, like... It's just a weird energy. I don't know if I want to watch it. I think for a while I did, but now I'm like, man, I just, I don't know. I feel for this woman. I feel for her family. Like it's, it sucks. And I guess I feel for Alec Baldwin too. Um, you know, good shoot. Like if, if, if my man's innocent and that's, that's, that's how it should be. So yeah, 
Uh, any other thoughts on this one? Uh, other than it's just, it's not over still. Um, like I said, they, they're going to do more investigating, some forensic stuff, and they could bring charges again, um, or they could be completely dropped. And we'll see uh, if Hannah Gutierrez-Reed goes to trial. Uh, I think they have a hearing on in early May to see if they're going to move forward. Mm. One more story this week uh, from the box office. Super Mario Brothers has been dominating. If you haven't been to the theater in the last few weeks, uh, this is the, the, the theaters are full of families going to see this movie. It's bananas. Yesterday, I was at the movie theater watching Evil Dead Rise. Full of families watching Super Mario Brothers. Full parking lot on a Monday night. It was crazy. And it seems like globally it is well on its way to hit a billion dollars. Just this week it hit $872 million globally. And surprise... Evil Dead Rise had a pretty decent opening at $23.5 million. Uh, what's going on at the box office, Andy? Man, so Mario just continues to impress. It's going to hit a billion dollars in this next week, no doubt. Uh, it's crazy for uh, you know a kid's movie, an animated film, to just have this kind of legs, have this kind of international appeal. We knew it would, but we did, it would be big. We predicted it would be a billion dollar movie, uh, but it's crazy to see it go. And it, you know, it's it's another boon for the uh, for the theatrical experience. Of the theaters have been hurting a lot in the last uh, kind of year, really, because there's been a lack of product because of, of the pandemic delays that we're just now feeling. We're starting to kind of recover from that. Uh, so Mar- Mario's just it's going to be huge, and we're going to get a big franchise out of it. It's a huge win for Nintendo, but more importantly, it's a big win for us here on Off Script because we talked about this months ago when this movie got announced. Billion dollars we said here on this show and a billion dollars it'll make because we are always right. So subscribe to Off Script for more hot takes <laughs> and more from the film prediction business. I think the bigger surprise for me is Evil Dead Rise having like a pretty quality opening. It's not that I doubt Evil Dead will do pretty well and i guess in that way it has but i was surprised at how small of a budget this movie had just a couple weeks ago uh it was revealed that evil dead rise was shot on like 15 million dollars and it made it back opening weekend comfortably uh it's a good thing Uh, evil dead 2013 did not necessarily have that luxury and they didn't really end up doing much more with that which was a shame uh fede alvarez's evil dead i think was pretty good stuff um, they did have a show for a while, uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead on what, Showtime, which had three seasons, I think. Um, but it's a legacy property, right? And like you never really know how that's going to go in theaters because a lot of horror heads nowadays might feel like, well, I never saw the old Evil Dead, so I'm going to skip it. Or other Evil Dead fans might be cynical and feel like, well, I'm going to wait and see what the reception is. But overall, like, it's pretty good, especially coming up against uh, another horror film, uh, Bo is Afraid from Ari Aster, which just came out. Um, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I was surprised about this too. Um, I I thought Evil Dead Rise would be a lot more niche. I thought it would be maybe a you know eight to $10 million weekend movie, not have a huge audience. Because Evil Dead is kind of like, it's almost its own subgenre of, of, of horror. And uh, those first two movies, especially the second one, you know, there's a lot of like Three Stooges style, like action and, and, and humor. Um, but it, it's, it's part of, it's part of the experience and it's very, like I said, it's a very niche property, I think. So I was surprised it did, it did so well. I'm glad it did. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. We should probably jump right into it. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. So please excuse uh, any clumsy delivery from me. The movie is Evil Dead Rise. Open up now. You don't look so good, Mom. <laughs> So Evil Dead Rise is the fifth film in the Evil Dead franchise. If you think of it as a longstanding franchise, uh, we originally had Evil Dead 1 and 2 from director Sam Raimi, a hot out of film school, right? Young director with his buddies up in Michigan, like shooting a movie at a cabin over the summer. Uh, That turned into Evil Dead 2, like larger production shot in a local high school, mostly like in the gymnasium. They built like cabin rooms and shot it. Uh, Army of Darkness comes out just a few years later after he makes Darkman, much larger production. Uh, And that one is much bigger in scale, right? Features a medieval setting. Our hero Ash escapes to, uh, (laughs) or I guess gets trapped in time 
uh, to fight the Deadites. Uh, but then, uh, kind of silence for a while. Evil Dead doesn't really go anywhere. Builds a cult following. Evil Dead 2013 comes out uh, from director Fede Alvarez. That was also uh, written and produced by Sam Raimi. And Bruce Campbell has a cameo at the end of the credits. But otherwise is a spin on Evil Dead in the cabin, right? The, the uh, teenagers all show up for the weekend. One of them finds a book. He reads a passage out of it, out of it, the Necronomicon, and the dead all show up and take over. Well, Evil Dead Rise is here now uh, in 2023 for a new spin from a new writer and director, Lee Cronin, uh, who's actually done a couple features. He did uh, uh, The Hole in the Ground, uh, which was a horror feature from like 2019 that we didn't see, but I remember seeing trailers for it and thinking like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, apparently he fancies Evil Dead, and many of us do, right? And he'd written this script that I think Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell read and thought, you know what? This one's got legs. It's different. It follows just enough of the Evil Dead-like formula while also being new. Uh, Evil Dead Rise follows two sisters, adults, uh, one of which has a family, the other which is a bit more wayward, uh, who are at their high-rise apartment one night um, just kind of getting together to figure out life. Uh, when suddenly, following an earthquake, uh, one of them discovers some recordings uh, in an underground vault. They take it back up to the house. They give it a spin on their vinyl vinyl player. And uh, it turns out it is a reading from the Book of the Dead. And that summons the beast that flies up to the apartment, possesses one of the sisters. And as we've seen in the trailer, uh, becomes a horrific night <laughs> where the family has to escape, else they'd be dead by dawn uh evil dead rise is like 97 minutes it's a 15 million dollar budget and that way i think it's in the spirit of the original evil dead right small from somebody uh kind of new in the horror space andy what'd you think uh i thought this was a lot of fun i liked it a lot uh it has a ton of energy it it just kind of keeps getting more and more intense the longer it goes it's just like a kind of a giant crescendo um and it, it touches on things that are popular in the or that, that have happened in the franchise that things like the you know the, the reading of the words from the evil book um and a number of things like that but it doesn't do the star wars things where it's just nostalgia bait where it's just like oh, hey guys remember this from the original it it, it keeps those to a minimum and and it, it it's much more you know graphic and violent like, like i said the the original first two evil dead are are it's kind of like a horror comedy almost um, and this is just kind of blatant, uh, pretty gross-out comedy. There's so much blood and, and gore, and they definitely really lean into it. There's a good reference to The Shining, as happens in almost every horror, horror movie. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. So I like this movie okay. Honestly, I think it's a case of, of kind of being overhyped, right? Like I, The first time I saw the trailer for Evil Dead Rise, I was like, <laughs> taking it back in my chair right like lost my breath every time a red band trailer has run in a theater like before a movie i've thought evil dead is, is it the evil dead trailer i'm gonna see it again like I, I was way too excited for this movie and i think a lot of evil dead fans would be right like this movie kind of has a lot to put on its shoulders unfortunately like and, and in that way i think like as a new horror feature like considering what's out there right now um i think it's pretty good like i really do i, I think it checks the boxes like it's kind of scary uh it's kind of funny um, and it doesn't have as much suspense as I think I'd hope, but it's got all the foundational elements of an Evil Dead movie, like the Necronomicon, the Deadites, like weird body horror, <laughs> strange liquids coming out of people of of uh, various colors, and and people screeching on wall, like all kinds of stuff, right? Like I think all that works out great. It's even got the kind of survive the night theme, um, but is like a Evil Dead movie. Like I think it's just kind of fine. I think it's fine. And I think the reason that is, is because Evil Dead Rise, like, lacks a certain feeling of suspense that the other movies did better. Evil Dead 2013 is, like, surprisingly slow. Surprisingly slow. And a lot of those scares are, like, really long buildups, right? Like, I know it takes place in a cabin. This takes place in a high-rise. There's a few more people in this one. But Evil Dead Rise, or Evil Dead 2013, like, took its time with a lot of scares. Like, it would really slowly zoom in on a character that's possessed, right? And it'd just be agony for like 18 seconds, these slow pans. Like, re yeah, really slow pans around a room. Um, this movie moves a lot faster. It's much more efficient. It's cut a lot quicker. And I think that gives it a kind of new energy that's good for new audiences. But if you're an Evil Dead fan, it may not, like, it may not embrace you the way I think Evil Dead 2013 did. That one was very much trying to be... Uh, you know, cater to old 
horror fans. This one is for new folks. And like, I think in that way, it's it's solid, definitely. Um, so let's talk about it. First things first, our setting, right? And our characters. Uh, we've got our two sisters. Uh, we've got their three kids of varying ages. Uh, and we've got our high rise in New York, I think. I don't even know if they LA. actually said. Okay, it's in LA. Yeah, I wasn't even sure of the setting. Went into uh, LAX. The the big question to ask: How do you have a like a, <laughs> an apartment full of people screaming their heads off and not have the neighbors come over and check it out? Right? I talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. <laughs> I said, "How how are they going to do that? Like, how are you going to answer that question? Right? Like, if you're if if a dead eye is screaming in an apartment, the people above, below, and next to them are all going to hear it. Probably everybody's going to hear it. And Evil Dead Rise actually has a really clever way." Of writing around that. Our two sisters are not particularly well off. Uh, they're both struggling, actually, financially and otherwise uh, in their relationships, which is a surprisingly uh, deep bit of something to our characters. Um, and this apartment they're in is in a building that's functionally condemned. They're actually like in the process of packing and moving out. So most of the apartments are empty. And the people on the floor that are nearby are nice and helpful and actually do appear in the movie as characters. Um, but due to functionally like an earthquake that rattles the building and actually opens this kind of hole in the parking garage where one of them ends up going down and finding this kind of hidden vault down there. Uh, that ends up taking out their elevator and functionally the stairs. So they're kind of trapped on this floor and can't go up or down or in or out. And more interestingly, it's raining so hard in this storm that they can't shout down from the ninth floor to anybody on the first floor and the cell phone towers are out. So they can't use phones. It's kind of perfect. Like, I was surprised at how well it closes off every available option in this very small, like, limit, like round of options to them. They don't really have anywhere to go. They, they try to make it for a fire escape at one point. But otherwise, like, the survive the night element is pretty good as far as the setting is concerned. Yeah, it, that's... That's what it does really well that compares to the original Evil Dead. So the original Evil Dead is you're out in a cabin in the woods. Um, that's replaced by they're stuck in an apartment in the city, but it's still, they're stuck in one location. So like that that part is what what's similar. Um, and I wanted to comment on something you said. Uh, one thing I heard is that like this movie could stand on its own without actually being an Evil Dead movie. It could have just been a great horror piece without... Um, kind of that the Evil Dead uh, tie-in. It it still it still works, I I think for the most part. Um, but yeah, the the setting is really clever. They're in this what what is kind of a giant apartment. Uh, but still the building's old. It's condemned. There's weird people uh living living there. We we meet a couple of characters uh, briefly out in the hall uh before the inevitable happens and the uh possession takes place. Yeah, and, and that's worth talking about, uh, the possession, right? Because that's a big element of Evil Dead movies. Like, it's not just some kind of slasher running around, and it's not necessarily just some identifiably evil demon or force. It is, like, the demons, right, that, like, come from the other side, and it's never really explained. All of this happens, of course, because you read from the Book of the Dead, which does make an appearance in this movie uh, that I think is done pretty well. I think... Like, the trappings of New Evil Dead are strong uh, based on, like, the current, I don't know, horror environment. The meta. Like, I, I kept thinking, yeah, I kept thinking watching this, like, uh, in front of Evil Dead Rise, there was a trailer for, like, Insidious 5, Insidious the Red Door. And, like, you think of that, and you think of, like, Spiral, the new Saw movie, you think of Bloomhouse horrors, and, like, in that way, I think... This movie feels very contemporary. It feels like a movie that's made in 2023, for sure. Um, it doesn't have like necessarily a timeless quality to it. And I'm not sure any of them do. I think Old Evil Dead is really just beloved because it was so charming, like in its simplicity. Um, and it's kind of straight edge approach to horror. Uh, but this movie does have that straight edge like appeal in its like pre presentation of Dead Eyes, dude. Like the demons are evil. <laughs> <laughs> and our, yeah. our kind of lead deadite, uh, played by Alyssa <laughs> Shaw, I think is her name, is Sutherland. really tremendous. Uh, sorry, what's that? Alyssa Sutherland. Alyssa Sutherland. Uh, yeah, it's really tremendous. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, you can see we've got her up on screen here. She like shambles around. It's got like really great makeup and FX. Combine that with like a ton of blood and like 
big body horror, like, you know, jaws unhinging, <laughs> like people chewing on glass and like all kinds of weird stuff that like really can crank up this feeling of like, oh God, what, what nightmare have we walked into, you know? And like, I think that makes for a pleasant experience, like for the audience to watch these characters have to try to endure because um, they're trapped, like they're in this place where they can't get out. And in that way, like Evil Dead Rise hits all the highlights, like it, it hits every mark, I think. Yeah, her performance is so good because she has to, to be everything. She has to be loving mother, uh, you know, deadite <laughs> zombie of the damned, uh, where she's like, she's stumbling around, but also maimed half the time or getting maimed. And there's lots of screaming. And so she has to act like a possessed person zombie thing uh, for a lot of the film. And then also tie in with like really like sweet motherly thing. Cause she's, at one point she's like locked out of the apartment. She's trying to convince one of the youngest daughter to let her back in. And so it's this really cruel juxtaposition of she looks horrible, but she has this really sweet, like motherly voice. And it just, it, it makes for, for a really strong performance. And she has to do a lot of it. Like she's really carrying a lot of the film. It lifts that gag uh, of like being locked out of the apartment and like trying to get back in and trying to be sweet, like talk to the daughter uh, from Old Evil Dead, right? Like Henrietta, like the the, the mother who gets resurrected uh, when the Book of the Dead is read in the old one, is locked in the basement of the cabin and she's trying to get out. And at one point she kind of turns back into mom and is like singing a lullaby to her daughter. And she's like, well, maybe that is my mom. And they're like, don't let her out of there. It's not her. Like <laughs> that is one of those things that comes like right out of uh... Old Evil Dead. And it works well, I think. In that way, I think the script for Evil Dead Rise is probably its strongest element because Lee Cronin, the director, wrote it. He he penned it and and he showed it to Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and they were like, this one's the one. It's got all the hits of old, old Evil Dead. It's got the mom, it's got the kids, it's got your wayward stranger who's arrived to try to, you know, had, not, not really help with the situation, but ends up becoming like a hero of, of, of their own, you know, whatever. Um, all that comes from there. Like it, it, it hits every one of those marks really well. I think where I struggled with it was just kind of functionally in its direction because of its pacing and also low key, the lighting, the lighting in this movie is like really intentional. Like it's, it's, it's really directional and like, man, <laughs> old evil dead's not that way. It's very natural light. Like, you know, they were just kind of using what they had. They had a couple light bulbs. They'd rig up on a thing <laughs> and Sam Raimi, put a light over there, Rob. And, and, you know, to, and then the evil dead rise, I think, or evil Dead 2013 kind of had the same appeal. They tried to use a lot of daylight, like they try to shoot a lot of like kind of natural light and big shadows. Whereas this movie, like even though most of it takes place at night, the apartment's pretty well lit. Like they got candles everywhere. You can see what's going on. And I think like dynamic lighting and fast pacing makes it feel just a bit different than like what I think I expected coming out of Evil Dead 2013. Right. And see, I, I never, I never saw the, the Evil Dead 2013. I, I've seen the rest of them. Uh, so I, don't know how to compare it but like you said it's it's much more modern in its trappings like they they don't do the kind of three stooges uh humor style humor that are in the original it's very brutal um lots lots of gore lots of body horror um a lot of brutal kills and and everyone's up for grabs that's i love when they use a cast of kind of relatively unknown people because you have no idea who's going to survive like, you know, if Tom Cruise was in Evil Dead, you know he's not surviving. Or you know he's surviving. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. So it, it helps when when you have a cast of you really don't know who who's going to make it. Yeah, the kid, the kids in the in the trailer, like the 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 the, the family, like they're the, they're not the only kids in the feature. There's a couple of kids who live like two doors down from them. Um and a lot of people had hopped online after this came out and they were like, "Oh, here we go. Evil Dead's not going to have the guts to kill kids in 2023." <laughs> I don't even think they kill kids in any of the other features. I think this is a a new addition to the formula. Um but boy, like I really didn't I didn't know what they were going to do and they they figured out a way to satisfy that. Uh, I think very very satisfying answer. Um I've, in in a discussion about uh it uh the Stephen King adaptation I heard someone yeah. say, like, there's two ki kinds of horror movies. There's ones where they will kill the kids and ones where they won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, Dr. Sleep, like, Jacob Tremblay getting, like, ripped apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, screaming and crying the whole time. Um, yeah, man, that, that's definitely a way to go. But I, I wanted to mention real quick, because I, I got to stop talking about old, old Evil Dead. That's not getting me anywhere. Uh, I want to talk about the humor in this movie. 
Um, Evil Dead 2 was funny, like in a way that I think people didn't expect. Like Evil Dead 1 is played straight. Evil Dead 2 is kind of funny. Evil Dead 3 is like three stooges. Uh, and, and throughout each film, Ash, our protagonist, like gets progressively dumber, which is really funny. Like in the first one, he's soft, but ends up being a hero. In the second one, he's big heroic, but like pretty dumb. And in the, at Army of Darkness, he he's like Mo Larry and Curly. But in New Evil Dead, you don't need to really do that. Uh, Evil Dead 2013 makes no effort to be funny. It is just straight horror, which I think is a strong approach. And this one actually toes that line a bit. Watching the trailer, I thought it wouldn't wouldn't be funny. Um, but it is in, in a twisted, cynical, twirl your mustache kind of way. Um, there's a scene in here <laughs> of a character running away uh, from from our one of our deadites. Like, it's just so goofy. Like, it's 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 a comedy cut. And there's another scene of a character getting thrown through a door that is also a comedy cut. Like, it's like something out of Looney Tunes. And it feels a little out of place, I think, if you don't know what to expect or if you're not looking for it you may just feel awkward i think if you know it's supposed to be a little funny like you get more enjoyment out of it i guess that's your like big send out to old evil deadheads right you're like yeah it's kind of it's got some funny bits like the old one and i think that cynical humor is smart especially when you get to the end of the film when you're working in like a shotgun or a chainsaw right like that's that's the stuff that makes that like kind of outward element work in what's supposed to be a pretty grounded horror film uh for 2023 uh, I, like I, I don't i wouldn't imagine the cast of megan picking up a chainsaw i wouldn't i wouldn't imagine <laughs> right. the cast of insidious picking up a chainsaw like evil dad is gonna put its flag in the ground and say we're that movie and i think it gets there in a pretty satisfying way i, th- I think yeah yeah like i said it it's something that it keeps ramping up in energy in in the the kills, the gore, the body horror. Just when you think you've, it's kind of gone as far as it can go, it finds a way to go <laughs> even further. And like you said, the big promo image is uh, uh, one of the characters like completely covered in, <laughs> in blood from head to toe, holding the chainsaw and a shotgun. So it's um, yeah, it's something else. Yeah, it it knows what it is. Yeah, I, I think in in the current horror landscape, I think Evil Dead Rise is strong. I do. I don't think it will have the legs of of like revere reverence like over time like the old ones do and for what it's worth like 2013 doesn't either which is a shame like not only do i think 2013 is good i'm surprised how many people haven't seen it and i'm a little surprised you haven't seen it andy the guy went and saw evil dead rise with same thing he was like oh yeah i never saw that one i was like man like that one's not bad (laughs) like that's a that's a pretty good horror movie but like well it's fine maybe come october maybe we'll watch evil dead like 2013 anyway uh, we got to talk about uh, whether or not we'd recommend this movie. I spent way too much time talking about Old Evil Dead. Apologies. Uh, probably should have ran myself in a little bit. But I feel like I said my piece. Andy, would you recommend Evil Dead Rise? Would definitely recommend it for fans of horror, especially if you're a fan of, of Evil Dead. It's going to be right up your alley. There's a lot of nods to the original properties without overdoing it. It feels much more modern. Uh, like I said, there's not as much uh, kind of slapstick humor, but they they really ramp up the the body horror element. There's kind of the zombie possession side of it is really ramped up. Uh, great performances from from our leads, especially uh, Alyssa Sutherland. Um, and you know, I think they'll probably make some more of these if this continues to make a lot of money. So I I would then re- that's who I would recommend it to. I think I would wait for streaming on this one. Uh, it's fine and if you if you if you really want to get into it like totally go see it in theaters I, I think you'll have a fun time but being it's a smaller budget being it's a smaller runtime i think it's just kind of a smaller feature and i don't think it hurts like watching it at home like on the couch under the, you know on, curled up under a blanket like i think that might actually give it a little something watching it in theaters it's good and, and i like i said i think for modern horror fans they'll be into it if i was like 16 and had never seen any of the evil dead movies and went and saw this i would think this is original i would think this has new ideas like that nobody else is doing like the possession thing is cool the body horror is cool feels like nobody is safe in the movie dead by dawn all that works but if you've seen old evil dead like you've seen that formula twice like uh, not including the sequels or the show or, or any other variations of it so like in that way it's it's a good horror movie. I just don't think it's a great Evil Dead movie. And, like, that's totally fine. Evil Dead 2013 arguably wasn't either. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to go see it in theaters, you should go check it out. Otherwise, like, I, I don't think you're hurting anything waiting to see it at home. And with that, we should talk about other things we should go see in theaters. Uh, Andy, what's our next segment? It's time for the trailer park. So we're going to be talking about three 
new additions, possibly a fourth. And these are a couple of year, a couple of years, a couple of weeks old, but uh, some new stuff that actually just came out in the past couple of days. Uh, first, we're going to start off with Talk to Me, which is a new horror uh, film coming this summer from A24. It's an Australian film. Uh, the, in the trailer, we see these Gen Zers all at a party, and they're going to play this game where uh, someone holds the, they have this hand, um, like a mannequin's hand, that's kind of scribbled, and it looks really cursed, and they're like, hold it, and you can kind of speak to like a dead relative. It's kind of like a Ouija board type thing. Um, but they're like, you know, don't hang on too long or you'll invite, you know, they won't want to leave a uh, great line in the, in the trailer. This thing looks so scary. Like it, it looks so really properly scary. I'm so excited for it. Um, it's one of those things like sometimes I get angry when I see a trailer that's really scary. And this was one of those. I was like, I don't want to be scared right now. <laughs> Zach, what'd you think? <laughs> Yeah, I think Talk to Me might be a bit of a sleeper, like for people who don't know what they're looking at. Like, again, watching Evil Dead Rise and seeing this trailer next to like Insidious 5, like it plays as like pretty good, I think. But if you start to look a little deeper at like things like shot composition or where it comes from, uh, the directors, uh, Danny and uh, Michael Filippo, I think is their name. Uh, they are New Zealand YouTubers with a 6.5 million subscriber channel. They've been making videos uh, under the channel name Raka Raka for years. Um, big special effects stuff. So just like the Daniels, like these are people coming from YouTube. Like it's a directing duo, just like the Safdie brothers, like who are modern and new and are doing something that's elevated, like on a small budget, which I think is really exciting. Like creating something that we haven't really seen before. Uh, at least I don't think. And I like just taking a simple concept and just elevating it straight up with just good filmmaking, like tent foundations, like just good lighting, quality editing. This stuff looks neat. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I think on its surface, like you just hear like the subject line, it doesn't sound all that interesting, but man, it, it just looks different. And I think talk to me looks really rad. So hopefully, I don't know, hopefully it's super good. Uh, I'm super next stoked you talk for about it. Is, yeah, me too, man. The next film we need to talk about is the Marvels. Uh, so the Marvels is the follow-up to Captain Marvel uh, from just a few years ago. Uh, it is the story of Carol Danvers and her continued journeys across the universe uh, when she is unexpectedly body-swapped uh, with a young heroine, uh, Miss Marvel, right? Uh, from Disney Plus's Miss Marvel series. Uh, but also uh, Monica Rambeau, uh, who was her former co-pilot in Captain Marvel and is in WandaVision, who, when she gains power, powers the three of them have this weird body swap thing going on and nobody can really this is already too complicated <laughs> keep going yeah and they have to it's fine and they have to collaborate together to uh, uncover the mystery and save the universe from the incoming alien invasion uh boy it does not sound great on paper i think it's because it feels like you got to do a lot of homework we've been, we've been unofficially calling this homework the movie on the <laughs> podcast uh andy what do you think of the marvels uh, I'm kind of middle of the road. It it looks kind of silly, and we just don't get a good sense of what the film is about. A trailer needs to do a couple of things. It needs to give you a premise, like the movie is about this, and it also needs to give you kind of an insight into like the kind of tone and atmosphere you're going to see. We get a little bit of that. It's going to be a little bit slapsticky. There's you know you got this young uh, Miss Marvel is like you know a teenage superhero, so we get that that kind of teenage girl personality. And then we also have Captain Marvel, who's who's very serious uh, through a lot of this stuff. Um, it and it just looks okay. And for a Marvel release that comes out this fall, this is going to be coming out in late November, which is like Oscar time. Uh, this looks really weak. So maybe another trip, maybe the second trailer will be a lot better. But so far, this is just kind of okay. Yeah, I, I think the concept of like three heroes body swapping is clever, um, but that's that's about it. I don't I don't know. Death what by Disney Plus. Gonna have. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, um, a movie that just came out. This trailer just dropped yesterday. Is uh, the Equalizer Part Three or the Equalizer Three, which I've been calling the Threequalizer, and I'm very very proud of. I'm very proud of myself for that. It's good. I have not seen the the other two in the franchise. This stars Denzel Washington as kind of a hitman or a, you know ex kind of 
badass guy. It's very much like Taken, where he he's living in Italy, trying to retire, but oh no, the mob is you know run, running around hurting people. So he's got to go back to the old ways and start you know doing doing the aged action star thing that we're getting so much of. Uh, this looks fine. Looks like a good action movie. Uh, I actually recent recently watched Man on Fire. Which is basically the same thing. It's like, oh, he's a nice guy that shoots people. Um, that yeah. looks fine. Yeah, I'm I'm a little in the same boat. Like, I can't believe these movies are continuing to be made. I remember when Equalizer Two got announced, and I was like, oh god, that's going to be a bomb. And like, no, it came out and did fine, like enough to make another one. I I think I was working at the theater when Equalizer One came out way back in high school, which dates me, but like. Um, I just remember doing fine. Like I, I didn't feel like it had a big impact. I didn't th- feel like a lot of people cared. But let me tell you, like this trailer dropped and people on Twitter went nuts. They were like, "Oh my god, the three equalizer!" <laughs> it's I don't believe it. And like Denzel looks fine. Yeah, Andy's exactly right. The aging like hero who's living off the grid and just wants to have a normal leave me alone kind of life. When suddenly his past comes back for him, like. I don't, I don't know. Like, it feels a little rote, but I haven't seen the other two movies. Dude, maybe the Equalizer is totally rad. Uh, maybe it's worth us watching them. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think the Equalizer 3 looks fine. Three, three Equalizer is very funny. I, I think we should continue to call it that the whole way <laughs> The three, three Equalizer, yeah. Yeah, and uh, one more trailer that I just briefly wanted to talk about. Um, there's not much to say on it, but we added it to the outline right before we got started. Uh, the second trailer for The Flash dropped today. Um, which we talked a lot about the first trailer for The Flash because it looks quite large. Uh, uh, what, Andy, you want to tell people what's going on in The Flash? Um, I just want to say the hype train is fully off the rails into orbit. <laughs> um, I'm so excited for the, for the Flash movie. Um, we get to see just a little bit more of what we've already seen. Uh, Barry Allen, a.k.a. The Flash, running back in time to uh, save his his parents canonically in the comic books his his mother dies and that's kind of what actually creates him becoming the the flash and his dad is like framed for for her murder or is held responsible for for it um and so he's trying to undo all this and when that happens he uh kind of changes things in the future for the worse he creates a world with with no superheroes and we see zod General Zod from the first t- 2013 uh, Man of Steel movie uh, is coming back. Uh, it just looks it just looks really great. The action sequences uh, look really cool. We get we saw a little bit more Michael Keaton, a lot of fun Batman stuff. Batman is definitely kind of carrying a lot of this movie. This almost looks like a Batman movie. Not gonna lie. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Doctor Draper uh, confirmed supporting wanted criminal Ezra Miller. Uh, at the box office, we, we will go see. <laughs> I will too, man. Like, I, listen, DC is pivoting following the Flash. They're doing the Flash, Blue Beetle, and I think maybe one other feature, and then we're full on in James Gunn mode. Like, this is, they are wrapping up films they have already made, and they shot the Flash, what, mostly through the pandemic, right? Like, they, that's kind of when this got made. So it's it's been a long time coming. And for what it is, it looks good. Like, it really does. It looks like a good comic book movie. It looks big and grand in scale. Like, why not? Shoot, it'd probably be, it, it. Looking at the trailers, it has potential to be like one of the best, like first films for a major comic book character we've had from DC. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I guess new trailer looks good. I really wish they'd stop showing Batman. Like it, <laughs> it really feels like they can't. They can't let it go. You gotta know. I mean, even even the new trailer, it's got like logo reveals at the end for old Batman, new Batman, new Superman, the Flash. I'm like, what? Why? Like, I don't need this to be the Justice League 2.5. Just show me the Flash movie. <laughs> um, man, they they're they're milking that cow. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We got just a little over, I guess, about two months or a month and a half before that comes out. Super stoked. June is going to be crazy. Every single weekend is is a big summer movie in June. Yeah. God, what a strange time. Anyway, one more movie to talk about before we wrap up the show. Uh, this is. A movie, man. I'm excited to talk about this. Andy, you want to take it away? Bo is afraid. This is a good home. I know. So this is the latest release from horror icon Ari Aster, who previously did Hereditary and Midsommar, Mid or Midsummer. Um, 
b- huge hits in the modern horror world. Uh, 2017 or 2018 is when uh, Hereditary came out. Um, completely kind of changed the face of horror. He follows it up a year later with uh, Midsummer, And then we don't hear from him for almost four years, five years. And we finally have Bo is Afraid, his follow-up star in Walking Phoenix. And what I'm going to do my best to describe, because this movie is, is really challenging in a lot of ways. Uh, we yeah. meet Bo uh, in his therapist's office. He is going, uh, he kind of has a dysfunctional relationship with his mother. Uh, he, uh, you know, is in the therapy session and his mother is calling his, like, you know, the phone's on and it's like his mom. And, and you can tell she's kind of this overbearing mother. And he was supposed to go visit her. Uh, the, this weekend, but of course things kind of go wrong. His, his keys get stolen. He can't get on the plane, can't get on the flight. Um, and his mother's like, well, of course you wouldn't come see me. That's kind of the setup. But the thing is the setting is, is really bizarre because this is not a normal movie. It's like 110% this surrealist landscape. Like he lives in this really rundown apartment where there's like uh, like people actively like being murdered out front um, that he has to like run from and people singing and, and dancing. And it's just this whole, it's a whole nightmare scenario. And the whole movie is him trying to get home to visit his mom. And there's different sequences of surrealist cinema, which is really hard to describe. What what I will do is I'll compare it to other movies, something like, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Probably the most uh, extreme example is something like Synecdoche, New York, uh, which starred Philip Seymour Hoffman, if you've seen that. Uh, but up there on the shelf with Bean John Malkovich or uh, um, I'm thinking of Ending Things, Men from last year, uh, possibly. But it it's very experimental. It's very a- abstract. It's, um, man, it, it's something else. And it is three hours long. Uh, and <laughs> that that's about as good as I can do because it's it's hard to really describe what is what is happening in the movie. Zach, what do you think? Uh, I think this movie is really special, actually. Um, I we've gotten this. I worry we're getting this reputation, Andy, here on the show that like when a movie is divisive, we're both gonna like it automatically. <laughs> and I don't. I don't think that's true. I think that just happens to be true often like that that happens to sometimes be true and in this case like I think I'm in that same boat I think I really like this movie it's so weird it's so weird like I, I yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying it's Kaufman-esque it's like Synecdoche New York uh it's like Alex Garland like I've seen really off the wall takes on Bo is Afraid and like overall every one of those movies I think I've always really revered uh things like being John Malkovich I but I've never seen one in a theater i've never seen it big i've never seen it like in the way that i think the the creator had intended to watch it on the silver screen it was actually really special going to see this uh, in a theater because i never knew where it was going god like Bo is afraid just takes some of the strangest (laughs) to get where it's headed and it's so fascinating because bits of it are dreamlike and bits of it are realistic and it it rests in this like valley of absurdism where it never really gives you the luxury of feeling grounded. And, I, and it's been, I think, divisive because I've seen people say that's its biggest problem. Like, Bo is Afraid never gives you a, sta- a stable ground to stand on. It never gives you the opportunity to say this is real and this is not. But other people say, well, that's part of what makes it so special, right? Like, few films ever go that far. Few films are willing to embrace surrealism to a point of genuine confusion from its audience. And when you watch a lot of movies, we do movie podcasts for a long time, I think in a way like that can be appealing because Bo is Afraid has a pulse in a way that I think a lot of other films don't. I mean, shoot, we walked out of it. We compared it to like Skinamarink, like yeah. <laughs> Edward Ball's new horror feature, like something that is so different. I don't know who to recommend it to, but personally, I think I really enjoyed it, um, even if it might have been tragically too long. Where do we start talking about this feature without without getting into spoilers? What's What's the best angle? Well, I think if we if we focus on the themes and we can talk about different sequences, it's just man. I think the movie is so much more ex- experiential. It's about how it makes you feel because you're not gonna be able to make sense of like a linear storyline per se. There's just kind of like you know that Bo is he's afraid. He's afraid of a lot of things. He's afraid of going home, but he's also afraid of staying where he's at. He's riddled with anxiety, and there's all these sequences 
that make you feel incredibly anxious. And I think that that's the, the point is to get that feeling. Like there's a part where he gets locked out of his apartment and a whole bunch of people go in and he's like terrified they're going to destroy everything. And that's kind of what happens. And, he, and he's just so helpless. And, and you feel you empathize with that as the audience member. And I think that's what a lot of this movie is about. It's about conjuring certain feelings, not necessarily telling a story from, from A to A to B. Um, Zach, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. Bo is Afraid is like a, an effort in just like kind of, what's the best way to say this? Bo is full of self-guilt. He's ridden with anxiety and he feels guilty that his life is going nowhere. It is wasted. Like nothing is really happening. Like he's just trapped in this place that he can't get out of where like everything sucks and nothing's ever getting better. And the world is a horror show directly outside of his apartment. People like shooting meth and stabbing each other. Like is this goofy character called like, what, what is it? Like the Portland stab man or something like yeah. <laughs> this bearded, whatever. Like, and, and Bo like has to make this journey to go see his mom. That's, that's really it. It's a simple idea, but like along the way, he runs into so much adversity. Like he, he meets these goofy characters played by Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan, which are really funny. These like two parents with the son that they lost. And, and uh, he meets this like weird uh, group of traveling playwrights out in the forest uh, and, and, and a, bu- a bunch of other individuals. And along the way, I, I feel like this movie is, is a bit like, what Dickin Dickensian Christmas Carol ask because it's it's a journey of like self discovery right like like Ebenezer Scrooge going to sleep at night and then meeting the three spirits and like seeing his life in the past and present and future and like ultimately getting to the end and and waking up Christmas morning and being like oh my God like I, I have this whole new perspective on life like Bo is afraid as much that way except. It's so dreamlike, like you don't get the, the satisfaction of Scrooge, like being a grump and going to bed at night in the first act and then waking up in the third act and being like, oh, it's Christmas. I've done it. Like rather we're Scrooge and we're watching the whole dream. Like the whole thing is a dream that you're watching as the audience and you get to the end of it and, and, and the lights come up and you're like, God, what, what have I just seen? Like, has it changed me or am I just bitter because it wasn't <laughs> what I wanted? And I think a lot of people are bitter. Yeah, I could I could see how a lot of people would not, uh, especially if you I you know if you have not seen like experimental films or things that are very surreal, and this was like your first foray into that, like um, you're gonna hate yeah, that, it. That, that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that would be rough. But but there are there are a lot of sequences that I like. Like I like the opening. There's basically three se- sequences, and it's basically or actually four. But the the like the first 45 minutes is, is one set. And like, I really like that opening 45 minutes and the next sequence when, when, when he's kind of stuck at this house with uh, Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane's character, uh, he keeps trying to leave. He's trying to like go and they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to take you to the airport uh, this evening. And then this evening's like, Oh, we're going to take you in the morning. And now we're going to take you tomorrow morning. Like it just, it's clear. He's never going <laughs> to leave this, this place. Um, like there's just so much going on. I wanted to talk about the humor. Um, this movie is hilarious in a lot of places. Like literally <laughs> laugh out loud, loud, funny. And so many times, yeah. you, like you just don't expect it. Like I was laughing con- like constantly throughout. And it's not it's not a comedy by any means. Like it is definitely a surrealist horror film. Um, but it just has such funny throwaway lines or things you see on on screen. Like one of the opening things. Like he's listening to the n- news and they're like. You know, Mr. Stabby, the uncircumcised white man, is still on the loose. And it's just like, why is that detail in there? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, lots of like funny cuts to something goofy that you don't expect. There's a great line in the third act when a character references their mother and the camera like pans over to a portrait. And it's like the ugliest person you've ever seen in your whole life. Like for no reason, right? Like gag. just punching down for no good reason. The world that Bo lives in like is so cynical and terrible and evil and awful and he is seemingly like your only real like guiding light of normalcy, even though he is in no way a normal person, like riddled with anxiety, like con- constantly like pestered by this feeling of 
something bad is going to happen in any, any second. There's nothing I can do. Um, in that way, like I think a lot of sequences in the film like have really great motion. Um, Andy mentioned earlier, like when he loses his keys just in the first act, like the camera's got so much life behind it. Aster, like typically in his films, takes a back seat. And, and really lets the camera just kind of like linger on the moments where it needs to. We get with Florence Pugh's face in Midsommar. You get like, what's his name? Alex Wolf in Hereditary bashing his head against a desk. Like really, really crazy stuff. But in this movie, like it has so much personality. Whip pans, crash zooms, right? You're reminded of like your favorite auteur filmmakers. Like I thought of like Wes Anderson watching this movie. I thought of, I don't know, Terry Gilliam, right? From Monty Python. Like, People with like a lot of personality and they're editing and they're cutting. And like this movie brings that to the table in a way that really elevates the horror to comedy, like in places that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I was reminded even of like Evil Dead 2. Um, this is something I did not get in Evil Dead Rise. Like this movie is on one hand like horror and also comedy to create this like brilliant, like jet black tragic comedy that is like so funny, but also like surprisingly thoughtful i think that a lot of people don't don't like yeah like it's what i was thinking is that it's almost like that uh you know you hear all the time one for one for them one for me so he's had two very commercially successful horror movies and now he's doing a kind of personal uh passion project in this and i i think that while it is a very challenging film there he has a lot to say you know like um in kind of his past two films family drama family dysfunction is a big theme and we get this as well and we get glimpses into Bo's life for, from childhood into adulthood and he just has this terrible overbearing overprotective mother that that you know he's in well into middle age and who's still that way and who he's still like dealing with childhood trauma current trauma tons of anxiety and the, the film does a great job of conveying that it's just in such a bizarre and very kind of long-winded way i yeah uh, about this movie getting made like we're there's no better way to express like how special the time we are in in film cinema movies than big art house directors getting insane budgets to make whatever they want, right? Like you could think of something relatively mainstream, like Damien Chazelle's First Man, a movie that probably would not have been greenlit with the budget it had, even though it's about Neil Armstrong starring Ryan Reynolds, Ryan, Reynolds, uh, Ryan Gosling. Uh, you think of like Robert Eggers' The Northman, like a movie that functionally bombed, like had a huge budget, like big ideas. He wanted to make that movie for years, and like was not that big of a hit. You think of Babylon, right? Uh, Damien Chazelle, like, well, I, here, I just said first man, but Babylon's a better example from Chazelle's filmography, like $65 million movie, like totally bombs at the box office, even though I thought it was great. And then there's Bo is Afraid. Yeah, Andy's exactly right. Ari Aster has made two fantastic hits. A24 is like, we will give you a blank check, like make whatever you want. And he says, okay, I'm making this movie that was a short film that he made a while back. I'm adapting it. It's going to be three hours long with an insane budget and people are not going to like it. And I'm making it anyway. And just like those other films, I can't help but feel a little charm that I got to see this in a theater. Cause like in any other universe, this would not have happened. Like this would have gone straight to streaming. Just like Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things. It would have been on Netflix. You'd have watched it and thought, boy, that was strange. And then it never would have gone anywhere. I think of like blonde, right? Like Anna Armas Marilyn Monroe movie, three hour feature straight to Netflix. You don't really think about it. Mank. David Fincher's film, like straight to Netflix. You don't really think about it, but here we are with this really odd feature. Bo is afraid. And I'm glad I got to see it in a theater. Right. So I just, uh, I just looked up the budget for this. This is $35 million budget. Uh, that's huge. In comparison, hereditary was 10 million. Midsummer was 9 million. Uh, so those were made on a third and they were hits and <laughs> this is so expensive and it's so bizarre. Um, man, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what to think about that. A A24 might just have to take a loss on it. You got to know like whoever was in the boardroom reading this script and like approving the budget had to have thought, I don't think so, but sorry, Aster, right? Like he's turned out two banger features. Like who's to say it won't work. I think, I think people had a lot of, I think the studio had a lot of faith in him. 
to turn this into something. And in that way, like, I do think this is a nuanced film from an auteur director. I don't think I will ever see anything like this movie again. And I think Astor is beginning to develop a voice, like, in his filmography. I, it's easy to compare him to somebody like Jordan Peele, who's even a little bit more, I think, specific in his films. This is so different from Midsommar and Hereditary. This is, like, such a step away, but still feels like it comes from somebody who genuinely has a love of the craft. And I think like in that way, even though it is so tonally different, it feels like an Ari Aster movie and I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah. That is one thing to see in, in a world of franchises and reboots uh, as much as we go to those and, and see those. It's nice to see uh, someone making something entirely in left field. I mean, there's shots in here, the opening scene, um, I don't think it's a spo- spoiler, but it's, it's a birth scene from the perspective of the baby. <laughs> and it's like, it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. And it's so unique because y- the screen starts completely black and there's just like muffled sound and eventually like light bursts open and like the child not, is born in the, the it's rooms. Not, all it's not just muffled sounds. It's horrifying screams. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing you hear. Yeah. There's lots of screams. Like, like from the opening scene, like, and you can hear the mother screaming. Yes. So from the opening yes. scene, you can see like the, the, the relationship that Bo is going to have with this with this one, but like I'd never seen anything like that. And there's a lot of things in this movie that I've never seen there, like cinematography shots and then just concept. And like you love to see an artist really go off the rails, and then maybe in the next one dial it back a little bit and then, and give us something that you know is pro- probably a little bit more commercially accessible. Yeah one one quick mention for the sound design in this movie, like the screams are unbearable, like. Whenever they got somebody screaming in the background, it is bloody murder. Like, you are being killed on sight. Like, it is brutal how mad the screams are. Which, like, is funny, right? Like, that's that's how, that's how tragic comedy works. Like, you wouldn't think it'd be funny, but it is. <laughs> when that uncircumcised stabber shows up, like, it's a great laugh because it comes out of nowhere and, and it's really funny. But I think, like, you're you're spot on. Like, it's so nice to be able to see something that's just refreshing from a, from a director who was like, I'm not redlining anything. I'm doing this my way or the highway, baby. And it's going to be great. And in that way, like, I don't think Astor's all that different from a lot of the directors he aspires to be. Uh, Martin Scorsese called Astor uh, one of the most exciting new directors in world cinema. And I think that's accurate. And this is from Scorsese, the guy who like historically has clumsy editing in his features, <laughs> right? Like, but Scorsese doesn't care. Like, it's not what it's about. Like, it's not, it's not about necessarily like, the small little instance that the people may not like, it's about the larger story and, and the message he's trying to convey. And in that way, I think Bo is afraid is like really special. Um, even if it's divisive, even if a lot of people didn't like it, like I, I didn't, I couldn't find myself on that side of the fence. I ultimately, like, I think I like more than I don't like. Although quick mention before we get to final recommendations, tragically long runtime. This movie could absolutely lose a half hour easily, probably longer. Uh, if there's any one thing I don't like about it, it's just too long. Yeah, it, it's a full three hours. Act three starts after the first two hours. I mean, it is, it goes. And it, it might have been a lot more accessible were it just shorter because, I mean, it's just such a long time to take what it does. But for a lot of it, I mean, it does feel appropriate for that time. Like the first 45 minute sequence um, is kind of one section and that like all of that works re- really well. So the I'm sure he, he was just unable to cut, cut things. He's like, no, it's too too important. I know. Yeah. I read somewhere he's got like a four hour cut of it. I'm like, oh God, I don't even think I'd want to watch it. Like, I think there's already plenty here. If anything, Make it a series. It down, but. Yeah, right. Yeah, big time. Uh, I can't wait to see what he does next. I, I heard from his director of photography on this, I think, that he's working on a, like a dark comedy western next. We'll see if that turns into anything. I, I really couldn't say. But for what it's worth, I think this movie's something else, man. Uh, Andy, you ready for recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend Bo is Afraid? So this is a tough one. I didn't particularly like it. I'm going to say probably pass for most people. However, if you are a connoisseur of bold cinema and you're looking for things that are different than what's out there, things that you've never never seen before, I would say definitely check it out. If you're curious but you're not not certain, wait for streaming. This might go down better in chunks. Like if there, there's kind of three, four big sections 
And if you kind of watch it almost like a series, that might be a little bit uh, easier to take. I, I do want to watch it again, but I definitely want to watch it on my own time at my own pace. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't know who to recommend this to. Like even even like real real film people that I know, I'm just like, man, you might you may not go for this. And like that's the thing. I think Astor has said in interviews he knew this movie was not going to do huge numbers, and like that's okay, right? Like I think I think a lot of directors. I, I, that's what Damon Giselle said about Babylon. He's like, no, I I knew at some point like this is this is too niche. This is not going to hit mainstream audiences well. They're not they're not going to like it. Um, but for what it's worth, like for the for the Metacritic score, I think, believe it or not, the audience score is higher for this movie than the critic score. Like general audiences mm. seem to like this more than like critics did. And I think people walk in thinking it's going to be something it isn't. You, I don't know, have some kind of vision in your head of what it's going to be. You got to go into this movie in a vacuum. Like really don't, don't try to compare it to anything else. Just kind of sit back and let the panic attack take you. <laughs> You'll, you, you might, you might actually respect yourself more when you come out on the other side of it. Um, and that's Bo's Afraid. What a feature, man. Uh, what a week at the movies for two very different horror films. Um, Andy, what are we doing next week? So we are uh, going to be taking the week off because we've been at the theater a lot. We did two theatrical films this week. Um, our, the big new release uh, will be May 5th with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Really looking forward to that. Uh, James Gunn's swan song uh, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, also, F, just an FYI release this week, uh, the ac- the foreign action movie uh, Sisu comes out, if any, if you guys have heard about that. We talked about the trailer a couple weeks ago. We might catch it. We might not. We'll see what, what our other feature is going to be. Uh, but we're off for next week and then come back for Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I heard really, really early reviews of Guardians 3 are good, which is good. Uh, I wouldn't expect a James Gunn movie to be bad at this point. Um, but also, like... I can never decide if that's just like, you know, early Disney hype, right? Like all of Disney's early reviews are good. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time Disney had early reviews and they were bad? Like they're always positive. So I, I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. I'm really curious to see how well that movie does. If people turn out for it or if like comic fatigue really is here and people are tired of superhero features. I don't know what else we're going to watch, but we'll keep you posted. I may go see that movie Chevalier uh, this week. And if I do, we'll do a micro review. Uh, when we come back on the 9th. But otherwise, thanks for listening to your boys here at Off Script. Uh, if you want to support the show, best way to do that is to just watch our content, right? Check us out on Facebook, where we live stream the show every Tuesday at 4.30, 5 o'clock Central. Uh, check us out on YouTube, where we're uploading full episodes, individual reviews, interviews, all kinds of good stuff going on on the YouTube channel. Go swing over and check that out. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. We're on all the usual social media spots. You can find us and follow us there if you like. And we're on podcast outlets. At least... Our old episodes are for sure. We're still working out the kinks on getting the new ones on there. But you can find us on Spotify or on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartMedia. You can like, subscribe, comment, rate, review, anything you want to do over there. Just to, uh, you know, let us know what you thought of the show. Let us know if you think we are doing a good job, if we should change something, whatever. We're always excited to read correspondence. And you can check us out online at offscriptfilmreview.com or you can email us correspondence directly at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Dot com. From all of us at Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.